on today's episode of Mile Higher. I can't think of anything much worse than looking for your child, having no idea where they were. The real hope at this point is that they're able to bring her home in whatever capacity that is. A case that has been unsolved since 2011. We're going to be talking about Lauren Spearer. She disappeared after a night out partying, drinking, and was last seen walking alone, intoxicated, and then she vanished. I keep also going back to the boys talking about how they didn't like the way Corey was handling her that night, and he was punched in the face because of it. They have not released any of the surveillance footage of Lauren that they have, and we still only have this one still photo of her, I think, that's circulating out there. And I just wonder why. I think it's more likely it was someone that was close to her that night and that people know more than they're saying. Hey, what's up, everybody? And welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast. This is episode 286. I am your host, Kendall. And I'm your host, Josh. And you're joined by our producer, Janelle, as always. Hello. How's it going? Pretty good. So today we're going to be taking a look at a case that has been unsolved since 2011. We're going to be talking about Lauren Spearer, who has been missing since then. However, her friends and family believe she is most likely no longer with us, unfortunately. Um, however, they do hold out hope that this could be potentially solved or that they could get some of the answers that they so desperately want. Well, that's the worst thing, right? Not knowing what mm. happened to your your daughter. I can't imagine anything worse. And I, I really think can't. The, the real hope at this point is that they're able to bring her home in whatever capacity that is. But she disappeared after a night out um, partying, drinking, and was last seen walking alone, intoxicated, and then she vanished. Yes. And it's a case that I wanted to talk about because because of Lauren, a law was put into place in Indiana, the Lifeline Law. And that allows for better, we'll explain it, but it allows for better you know, safety measures to be put in place for college students and sort of made people and college campuses around the country sort of look at the way that we approach college safety, which is such an important issue as so many college students, you know, being young, of course, there's a lot of partying going on and potentially underage drinking or excessive drinking going on. So this law specifically protects those that want to report to, you know, emergency services, somebody who's publicly intoxicated or, you know, needs help. And they don't want to because they're worried about themselves, you know, getting in trouble. That they're also underage. Right. So it, it protects them. And there are several states. I know Colorado has one of these laws as well that have adopted this as well. And it's so important and should have been in place all along. But I think it's kind of cool that, you know, it's a it's really a way to honor Lauren's memory to, Absolutely. to have these laws in place. Well, but And had it been in effect when this this right. disappearance took place, this could have played out completely different because could have, yeah. Those that were with her have really not cooperated to the mm-hmm. extent that the the family has wanted or hoped for, because I think it's been out of fear of potentially getting in trouble for just being associated with what they were doing that night, um, or because of involvement, or or involvement uh, in her disappearance, which we don't know. So 
again, a very, very important law that should have been in place. I mean, really, it should have always been in place. I don't know why this is still a new thing that's not in place everywhere. But yeah, it's unfortunate that it had to come as a result of, of this terrible, terrible event. So let's start out here by talking about Lauren and a little bit about her background. She was born on January 17th, 1991 to Charlene and Robert Spearer in Scarsdale, New York, which is a small suburb in lower Westchester County. Lauren also had an older sister named Rebecca, and her parents described Lauren as a lively little girl who adored singing and dancing, and they have fond memories of Lauren in all their family home videos. As she grew older, Lauren became a stunning blonde with a radiant smile and captivating blue eyes. She graduated from Edgemont High School in 2009. Lauren was dating a guy named Jesse Wolf, and she also had a close friend named Jason or Jay Rosenbaum, and they had met several years prior at Camp Tawanda, which is a summer camp for teenagers in Honesdale, Pennsylvania. And during her time at camp, she was also introduced to other students who would later become part of her, you know, close circle of friends in college. After she graduated high school, Lauren enrolled at Indiana University alongside her tight-knit group of friends and her boyfriend, Jesse. And while at IU, Lauren majored in textile merchandising as she wanted to work in fashion one day. And she was also extremely active in her school's Jewish community. Lauren also enjoyed traveling to Israel and planting trees for the Jewish National Fund during spring break. And after completing her second year at IU, Lauren was all set to embark on an internship at Anthropology in New York after enrolling in summer classes. And this was something she was super, super excited about. And during this time, the spring semester was coming to a close and she was about to finish her sophomore year. On June 2nd, 2011, Lauren had plans to go out with her friends and celebrate the end of the year and this upcoming internship with Anthropology. And on the night of June 2nd, it started out like any other night, really. Lauren left her home at the Smallwood Plaza apartments around 1230 a.m. with her friend David Rons, and the two of them were headed to Jay's house. And once they arrived, they did, you know, the typical college thing and began drinking and pre-gaming with Jay's neighbor, Corey Rossman. And this went on for nearly an hour before they decided to make their way to Kilroy's Sports Bar. And this bar was a college hotspot near campus. According to reports, they arrived at the bar at approximately 1.46 a.m., now, it's worth noting that Lauren was only 20 years old at the time, so she likely used a fake ID or had someone buy her drinks while she was there. Witnesses at Kilroy Sports Bar described the group as being, quote, very intoxicated with reports of Lauren falling down several times. The group hung around the bar for less than an hour before Lauren and Corey were seen making their way back to her apartment at 2.27 a.m. Lauren ended up accidentally leaving both of her shoes and her cell phone behind at the bar and was seen walking barefoot down the street. By multiple witnesses. Surveillance cameras at Lauren's apartment complex captured her and Corey entering the building at 2.30 a.m., but after a few minutes, they were spotted leaving the building and stumbling into a nearby alley at 2.51 a.m. According to court documents, a fight broke out between Corey and Lauren's neighbor, a man named Zach Oates, along with three others. Apparently, they weren't happy with how Corey was quote-unquote handling Lauren, leading to Zach punching Corey in the face. After the altercation, Lauren and Corey left her complex without her having a chance to grab another pair of shoes. Then they made their way over to Corey's place, which is about two minutes away or two and a half blocks away from the Smallwood Plaza apartments. On the way up to his apartment, Corey ended up vomiting all over the stairs, and his roommate Michael Beth recalled that Corey and Lauren were so intoxicated that they struggled to walk. 
and were slurring their words. Michael eventually sent Corey to bed and suggested to Lauren that she should crash there for the night. However, Lauren decided not to. According to Michael, the two then headed next door to their mutual friend Jay's apartment at 4.15 a.m. so Jay could help Michael take care of Lauren. While there, Lauren borrowed Jay's cell phone to make calls to her friend David and another unidentified friend, but unfortunately, neither answered. After this, Lauren decided to head back to her apartment. Jay reported last seeing Lauren heading south on College Avenue near the intersection of 11th Street around 4.30 a.m. She was wearing black leggings, a white shirt, and no shoes. Later that morning, her boyfriend Jesse texted her to check in on her. However, he ended up getting a reply from a staff member from the Kilroy Sports Bar. This staff member informed him that Lauren had left her phone there. This was definitely alarming to Jesse since, the last he knew, she was going out with friends. So it was at this point that he reported her missing to the local police department. Soon after, Lauren's roommate, Hadar Tamir, heard about Lauren's disappearance, and Jesse and Hadar took it upon themselves to try and find Lauren. However, they had no luck. Lauren's sister, Rebecca, called the family to break the news that Lauren had been reported missing. Her mother, Charlene, started contacting local hospitals, while her father, Robert, contacted Jesse, who was already at the police station filing a police report. The next day, June 4th, Lauren still hadn't turned up, so Lauren's parents made the journey from New York all the way over to Bloomington, Indiana. At this point, word started getting around about Lauren's disappearance. One woman who had no connection to Lauren whatsoever created the at News on Lauren S Twitter account. In just two short weeks, the page gained over 20,000 followers and received several retweets from famous celebrities, including Kim Kardashian, Ryan Seacrest, and Scott Baio. And this was especially huge back then. I mean, think about it. This is 2011. Twitter was kind of in its early years. I don't know exactly yeah. when Twitter started, but that's pretty amazing. And it always really impresses me when strangers will, you know, create something like this and try to take that extra step, get involved, get the word out there and try to make a difference for this family. It's just really commendable. But June 6th came around and there was still no sign of Lauren. And this is when a massive search consisting of hundreds of volunteers from the community was held. Also, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children got involved, and they dispatched Team Adam, which is a rapid response team, to Bloomington to assist in the search, which is something I don't think a lot of people know about the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, is that they actually engage in searching for uh, missing people and missing children. Yeah, that's why we've chosen to support them. They have done some really incredible work for families out there since they have so much experience and mm-hmm. looking for people they have these consultants that come in and they help organize law enforcement they help they bring in any resources really that is needed whether it's people to help search or to talk to the family mm-hmm. um, and really you i mean they have a vast network of resources so yeah a really wide range of services i don't think people realize just how much they do and team adam is actually named after john walsh's son who founded NECMEC. Um, he was brutally murdered. It's an incredibly, incredibly scary and sad case. Let's go ahead and take a look at some of the footage from the initial search. There is a tenor of distress in a mother's appeal, an IU student who seemingly vanished. The picture of the pretty co-ed now taped to age-old trees. We're going to go up Hickory Ridge and do the same thing we did the last time. Her father, Robert. We'd like Anyone who has seen her to please contact the Bloomington police immediately. Dad and mom flew in from New York Saturday, still stunned by the news. The search spans a massive expanse. They're searching here because they say they were told to. 
and police. They're focusing their search in the city of Bloomington. Lauren was likely out partying, last seen walking south on Bloomington's College Avenue from 11th, her apartment on 8th in College, just three blocks. Video shows she never arrived. How long are you all planning to stay out here to search? I don't know. A long pause from Dad. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As the echoes of mom's plea bounce about the fort. God, I, it is just heartbreaking to hear her mother calling out her name that way. I mean, that has to be, I can't think of, Anything much worse than looking for your your child, having no idea where they were, and just screaming out into the forest like that, hoping to, to hear from them, to find something. I mean, that is just has to be torture. It's terrible. I don't even know how you're processing everything either. Like, I don't think your mind is even connecting what's going on. And no, it's just desperation. Such like fight or flight mode, you know? Oh, God, that clip just just kills me. I know. It's so sad. So that same day, Lauren's story made its way onto Good Morning America, the Today Show, as well as CBS Morning News. Her parents also held their first press conference at the police department in Bloomington, something that would become very routine for them throughout the first few weeks of the investigation. Let's take a look at that press conference. Well, thank you all for coming today. Uh, I wanted to, uh, again, thank everyone that is working with us, uh, both from law enforcement and for all the volunteers that have been coming out. Yesterday was an especially hot day. We had hundreds and hundreds of people with, once again, a coordinated effort uh, through the guidance of the police to make an extended search. And we ask again today, there'll be a search at 11. There's a search at 11, at 2, and at 530. And if everyone can lend their support to those searches, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, IU has uh, provided, I know that the weather is um, possibly going to be rain today, so there will be ponchos out there for anyone that needs them in the event that it does rain. So uh, thank you in advance for coming out and helping us with uh, with your support. It's, it's critical that we uh, get the manpower out there to look for Lauren. On June 7th, a search warrant for Lauren's apartment was issued to police who examined the security footage from the night she disappeared. Authorities began a search of Lake Monroe on June 8th along with their investigation of Kilroy Sports Bar. That very same day, Jim Ursay, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, took to Twitter and offered a $10,000 reward for Lauren's safe return. The next day on June 9th, Charlene and Robert Spear raised the reward to $100,000 to anyone with information leading to Lauren's discovery. Sadly, the search and rescue team, they went out, did a search. They ended up calling it off because they were coming up empty handed. So obviously, at that point, the police started looking further into the people who were around Lauren the night before she disappeared. And they ended up identifying 10 persons of interest. And two of those people included Corey Rossman and his roommate, Michael Beth, as well. Police were also conducting stops on College Avenue and 11th Street 
questioning drivers about the prior week and any, you know, unusual occurrences. On June 11th, Lauren's story was featured on America's Most Wanted, John Walsh's show, and this resulted in 350 tips. And as much as investigators hoped that one of those tips would help push along the search for Lauren, unfortunately, none of them led anywhere. And here's more of what John Walsh, the host of America's Most Wanted and founder of NECMEC, had to say. To find her. Joining us now on the phone is a man who has a tremendous amount of experience, unfortunately, uh, with these kinds of of cases. Uh, And he joins me now, the host of America's Most Wanted, John Walsh. John, welcome. Good to have you here today. Thank you, Martha. What do you think of this case? What stands out in your mind when you hear some of these details? Well, unfortunately, I'm in Brazil. I'm hunting for a, a, a pedophile, an American pedophile. I'm here with the marshals and the diplomatic security service. So I wish that I was on the ground with Lauren's parents, Robert and Charlene. But this is a, a very disturbing case because this girl disappeared at 430 in the morning. She went out Thursday night and disappeared on her way home. And she's in a she's in a place that she shouldn't be. And, uh, you know, time is of the essence. Always time is in the essence of the case of a missing girl. And uh, we, we need the media's help. We, the, the parents are, are there helping in the search, physically working on the search. The chief of uh, police in Bloomington, Michael Dekoff, has reached out to the FBI and to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And, and we're, everyone is desperate to find out something. Somebody must know something about what happened to Laura because she's disappeared under the worst circumstances. Yeah, you know, and Lauren's mother saying for that one person who has the answer to that one person, uh, to this mystery and this puzzle, bring Lauren back. Let us know where she is. Take her to a hospital. Basically, they're pleading for her to be dropped off anywhere uh, in this situation, you know, and the, it tracks her. She went out uh, in town in the evening, you know, with some friends. Then then it tracks her going to a friend's house, according to the reports that I read. Uh, and then she started walking home in the early hours in the morning, somewhere around four o'clock in the morning. But she never made it to her apartment building because the surveillance video at the apartment building does not show her entering that building. So they've narrowed down. You know, how helpful is that, John, that they've at least been able to narrow down that window? Well, that 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 is somewhat helpful. And um, I'm hoping and praying, as everybody else is, that it, this isn't just a predator, an opportunistic predator, and that this turns out like a few cases. The odds that she's alive statistically are very slim. But we never give up hope. Last week, I talked to Elizabeth Smart, who was missing for eight months, and lots of people had given up on her, and she was found alive. And after eight years, she finally got justice, and her kidnapper, who kidnapped her right from her home, was finally sentenced to life without parole. That's such a great point. And Elizabeth Smart always comes to mind for me, too, when you start thinking about how statistically someone is probably no longer alive. And I know it has been a very long time. They were going on the 13th years, yeah, year 13 now. 13 years um, since Lauren disappeared. But, you know, that's always hope, a possibility. Yeah, it really is. And it's nice to hear from John, I think, in these cases, because he coming from his own experience, he's just so passionate about helping these families and and really puts a huge amount of eyes on these cases. Even when we met him in D.C., he was just immediately talking about all the things he was working on. And you can just see that passion in his eyes. He's he's truly incredible. 
So when June 14th rolled around, Indiana University established a $50,000 search fund and NECMEC sent additional resources out and volunteers. And in addition to that, an organization called EquiSearch, which specializes in equine services, joined the search for Lauren as well, um, which if you're not familiar, that means they brought out horses to help in the search. And a couple of days later, on June 15th, authorities released an enhanced image from security footage that revealed a white truck driving around where Lauren was last seen. And here's some news footage of that truck. And we were just asked that... Uh... A still photo taken from video surveillance shows a vehicle twice circling a building near where Lauren Spear was last seen on June 3rd within a 10-minute time frame. Uh, what we're looking at is a white vehicle. It's possibly a Chevy Silverado full-size truck or a Chevy Colorado mid-size truck. Estimated to be in the mid-2000s as far as the year. It is a four-door. It is a short bed, which appears to have some type of equipment in the back. Police Captain Joe Qualter says that there could be distinct writing or a logo on the side doors and possibly a rear panel of the truck. Now, initially, officials stated that it was entirely possible that the truck could have played a role in Lauren's disappearance. In particular, a man named James McLeish had been released recently from prison after he assaulted his ex-wife around the time that Lauren went missing. And James was reported to drive a white pickup truck similar to the one seen in that surveillance footage. And he was actually living in a halfway house for convicts just a few minutes away from where Lauren was last seen. And throughout the investigation, authorities claimed a woman who knew James had contacted them, urging them to investigate, saying, quote, you need to check him out. He was there. He also allegedly threatened her and made comments, including, quote, I know what happened to Lauren and the same could happen to you. And of course, just to clarify there, that has not been confirmed that he actually said that. But the woman insinuated that she knew James had murdered Lauren and buried her on some random farm. However, when James was asked about this in 2020, he did deny it and even offered to take a lie detector test, which he did pass. And of course, authorities did remind everyone that while he did, in fact, pass the polygraph test, they emphasized that it's important to remember that lie detector tests are often unreliable and are not admissible in a court of law. However, there is some speculation about the possibility that James's ex-wife fabricated the entire story to keep him behind bars for assaulting her. And I mean, I'm sure many of you out there can understand why someone would do something like that. She may have been, you know, afraid for her safety and saw Lauren's unsolved case as an opportunity to keep him away from her. However, only a few days later on June 20th, police ended up dismissing this lead. And here's a clip of them explaining this further. Bloomington police dismissed what seemed to be the only credible lead this far in the Lauren Spearer case. And I'm pleading with you to be that person that defines yourself as the person that helped us. Lauren Spears' mother, Charlene, delivered an emotional plea to the press Monday after Bloomington Police Captain Joe Qualters dismissed what seemed to be their only credible lead thus far, a white truck appearing to circle the area around Lauren's supposed last known location, was found to be in no way connected to the 20-year-old IU student's disappearance. We are satisfied with not only the information provided to our investigators, but also the video information uh, that supports that vehicle uh, being excluded. 
Police had incorrectly believed the truck passed by twice, prompting the initial suspicion, but learned of a video surveillance timing discrepancy over the weekend that proved it had in fact only passed by once. The driver was picking up a co-worker and reportedly did not see anything suspicious. I think you know by now that the search has extended to large spaces of land outside the city of Bloomington. So it takes a significant effort of people and power to get out there and cover all that ground. I wanted to mention one thing because you might be wondering, where's the video footage, right? Like we've mentioned that there's surveillance footage of Lauren, yet we only have the one still photo that police released of her. Um, and then the surveillance footage from this truck or anything else that they've, they've gotten. And this has been a point of scrutiny for the Bloomington police. Because in many cases, as we've seen with Rachel Moran's case and yep. and others, a lot of times the police will release the surveillance footage to the public uh, to hopefully get help with picking up clues. And that's something that the Bloomington Police Department still to this day has not done. Mm-hmm. They have not released any of the surveillance footage of Lauren that they have. And we still only have this one still photo of her, I think, that's circulating out there. and. I just wonder why, like, why not yeah. release the the surveillance photo or video? It seems odd. I mean, I don't want to speculate too much, though, because there could be a good reason for not sure. releasing it. I hope course. there's a good reason for it. It but... might even be possible that her family doesn't want it released, that maybe she, I mean, she was intoxicated in it. Who That's knows? That's a good point. Possibly you know? it's something to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not sure. And I don't, I don't know. I feel like if it was truly helpful Maybe they would have released it. Yeah, Maybe true. it's not really going to make a difference. Sure. I don't know. I just don't see why not, you know, especially in this day and age. I mean, we're talking 10 plus years later. I feel like there's a lot of other technology available that could potentially look through it and maybe pick up clues that maybe they haven't found. But they could, you know, use that technology without releasing it sure. to the public. Absolutely. I don't know. I just, I'm not sure why. And if her family's not speaking out and angry about it not being released i don't see i don't know if it's really important or an issue or something that they would want but who knows so on june 16th a map detailing lauren's timeline and whereabouts on that night of june 2nd and early morning of june 3rd was released to the public and later that day charlene made her first public plea for her daughter's friends to come forward and when prompted michael beth and Corey rossman did submit to giving their DNA to the authorities. Uh, Here's a clip from the interview that her parents gave. How do you get through this day in and day out and sustain that strength that you both display so well? I have one thing in my focus, and that's Lauren's face. And that is what keeps me going, is, is, you know, my complete total focus and purpose and determination is for Lauren. It's... Yeah, tired, but there's you're just not allowed to be tired and you're not allowed to stop. Or anyone who's a parent knows that this is what you have to do. This is how you need to be. Truly has to be the worst, worst feeling in the world. <sighs> Being so exhausted and so burnt out. But you know ne- you can never stop. Going. Yeah. You can never stop. There is no other option. I wanted to include this next clip because maybe it's just being a father, I just really like connect with him uh, in this particular moment. But this clip's from June seventeenth, and he's uh, 
he's talking about Father's Day coming up, and it uh, this one just gets me. Also, like to thank all of the people that have had the courage and the compassion to provide tips in connection with Lauren's disappearance. Meantime, another plea from Lauren's father. Let me ask those that have information about Lauren or the events of that evening to get the courage to come forward and tell us anything that you know. We all know that this Sunday is Father's Day. I would ask any of the uh, children out there to uh, let your parents know. A father who can hardly speak when he considers Father's Day fast approaching with still no word about what happened to his daughter Lauren or where she is. I commend him for his strength and just to get up there every single day. And Honestly, both of them to be able to hold their composure the way they do throughout most of this is, is so impressive. I don't think I would have that strength. As the weeks passed by, the search began losing momentum. And by June 21st, the searches dwindled down to one per day with less than 50 people in each party. The next day, police announced they had concluded all interviews with Lauren's friends and family and officially called off the search. But of course, Charlene and Robert Spear weren't giving up hope. They were willing to do whatever it took to find their daughter. I'll show you another clip of Robert and Charlene discussing the search up to this point. I feel like there's quite a bit going on. I mean, there's can always be more, but and as this progresses, I think a lot of our friends are trying to come up with new ideas of ways to keep the word out. You know, we have a huge amount of people that are continue on Twitter and Facebook and because that's how this generation or younger generation, not our generation, um, communicates. So we have a huge group of people that are keeping that going and constantly you know, working on that, and it's another part of our process, and we you know, great. Three days later, a private group of over 500 volunteers came together and established the Find Lauren Day. The volunteers searched the entire county and the adjoining Hoosier National Forest. As the investigation progressed, it was discovered that the Smallwood Plaza security cameras captured Lauren and Corey leaving the alley and making their way toward an empty parking lot. Police ended up discovering Lauren's keys and wallet on the ground near the spot where they were last recorded. A local bar manager also stepped forward in the course of the investigation, claiming he witnessed a man picking up a woman, matching Lauren's description, and carrying her over his shoulder near 10th and College Avenue, which is just one block from where she was last seen. Unfortunately, there was no evidence to support this man's claim. However, a private investigator, Bo Deedle, later hired by the Spear family, expressed his belief that the man did indeed see Lauren, but may have gotten the timing wrong. That being said, no information could be found regarding the exact time the bar manager claimed to have seen her. However, around 4.35 a.m., a homeless man named Franklin Road Dog Crawford reported hearing a woman screaming for help near the location where Lauren was last seen. Unfortunately, authorities weren't able to confirm his statement as he passed away on June 6, just a few days after Lauren's disappearance. On August 16, 2011, the Bloomington Police Department conducted a nine-day search of the area near her apartment, which included the Sycamore Ridge Landfill in Pimento, Indiana. They were accompanied by Lauren's parents, the Indiana University Police Department, the FBI, and hundreds of volunteers. Witnesses recounted the heartbreaking scene of Lauren's parents sifting through creeks, forests, and landfills, desperately calling their daughter's name. Robert expressed that the toughest part was witnessing the bulldozers roughly plowing through the garbage, in search for Lauren's body. 
Sadly, despite all of this searching, it turned up nothing. Former FBI investigator Brad Garrett has stated that he believed drugs may have played a role in Lauren's disappearance. Additionally, both Lauren's friends and boyfriend informed the police that she frequently used drugs and alcohol leading up to the incident. Officers did discover a small amount of cocaine in her apartment. Her parents also revealed that she had been previously arrested for public intoxication and underage consumption of alcohol nine months before she went missing. Nadine Wolf, Lauren's boyfriend's mother, claimed that Lauren was expelled from the summer camp where she met her son, Jesse, due to the drug use. She ended up stating, quote, This poor little girl isn't with us today because of drug use. Lauren's parents were understandably offended by this accusation. They stated that yeah. they were, quote, appalled that the Wolfs defamed our daughter, knowing Lauren would have never had the opportunity to respond. However, Jay confirmed the drug use claims as well, stating that Lauren snorted clonopin and cocaine the night she disappeared, which if you're not familiar with clonopin, it's a benzodiazepine used to treat seizures and panic attacks, and combining it with alcohol and cocaine can actually have deadly consequences. But regardless of Lauren's drug use, she was still a victim and obviously didn't deserve her fate or the harsh criticism from Nadine Wolf, which could be easily seen as victim blaming. I mean, it... It is, it is victim, victim blaming. Yeah. Lauren's family also revealed that she had a rare heart condition called long QT syndrome or LQTS. And this is a condition that can cause fast chaotic heartbeats. Some of the other symptoms include seizures, fainting, and an increased risk of sudden death. Police did consider the potential of Lauren accidentally overdosing that night. And then her friends hit her body in fear of getting in trouble. However, there was really nothing to base this theory off of. It was just as likely that she could have been a victim of a random kidnapping. A few months later in September, Kilroy's sports bar actually ended up being cited by the state of Indiana for letting her in the bar with a fake ID and serving Lauren alcohol. Three months later, on December 3rd, about 50 people gathered in front of Lauren's apartment complex to share songs, stories, and prayers in her honor. And this would be the first holiday season without Lauren for the Spear family. A large Christmas tree was also set up in Bloomington at the Fountain Square Mall, and luggage tags were handed out in exchange for encouraging or heartfelt letters to be sent to the Spear family over the holidays. On December 20th, Lauren's parents publicly stated that they did believe Lauren was no longer alive, claiming that the odds were just stacked against them. And here's a clip of her parents and her sister Rebecca speaking more on this. Think she's still alive? We don't know. We hope she is. I think the odds are against us. We desperately wish for that. So we do hold on to that shred of hope. For Lauren's parents, it has been unimaginable horror and pain. But for her older sister, with whom she shared a special bond, the void can never be filled. 25-year-old Rebecca Spearer has been comforting her parents and searching for her sister and has not spoken publicly until now. There's no words to really describe the feeling for us. Every moment of every day, we're thinking about Lauren, we're holding her with us, we're carrying her. And um, it's, you know, all the holidays are hard, but every day is hard for us because she's such an integral part of our life. God, you can just really see the massive toll this has taken on their family. And since Lauren's disappearance, her parents have stated that they believe the group that she was with that night, including her boyfriend, Jesse, likely know more about her disappearance than they have led on. And one of the main reasons why they believe this is because they all allegedly refused to take polygraph tests and hired lawyers 
shortly after Lauren vanished. And her parents believe that because the group of boys were so quick to get legal representation, this prevented them from finding out what truly happened to Lauren during the final hours before her disappearance. They noted that while her boyfriend, Jesse, was initially cooperative at the start of the investigation, Jesse's parents quickly brought him back to New York, which they found to be odd. It's also worth mentioning that Jesse was never seen outside of his apartment the night of Lauren's disappearance, and he claims that he was at home watching the NBA finals when she went out with her friends. Jesse's roommate also confirmed that he was in bed by 2.30 a.m., hours before Lauren was last seen. Despite his alibi, though, and the statements from Lauren's friends describing him as, quote, the most loving boyfriend who would never harm Lauren, her parents are still hesitant to believe him, which I do understand where they're coming from. They claim that he refused to take that lie detector test and that, you know, has really bothered them. However, Jesse's parents later claim that their son did pass, quote, uh, a privately administered lie detector test because the police couldn't be trusted. Which I think is very interesting because mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that that's invalid, right? I mean, I think when you dig into this case, there's definitely some mistrust with the Bloomington Police Department. So I think, I think there's a lot of people out there that question you know, how thorough they've been in their investigation. Again, I think once you find out that all of the boys lawyered up kind of makes more sense for why, you know, they can't just like start interrogating them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, as far as we know, there isn't direct evidence linking them to her disappearance, even though they were the last with her that night, there's no direct evidence linking them to foul play or any, anything like that as far as we know. But I understand the, the, the family's frustration with yeah, them, you know, cause in your mind, and I feel the same way as like, if you're completely innocent of anything related to her disappearance, why not help us? Why not come forward and speak out with us yeah, and of course you're gonna clear your names way. and, and all of that. But I think because of the, what they were doing that night and the drugs and things like that, I think they're obviously trying to protect themselves from potential issues in, in that that realm at the very minimum yeah i mean maybe but we just don't know but i mean there definitely could be more reason to it absolutely and there I, could be I definitely that more reason personally okay yeah i don't know it's hard there's just not enough to really say right but i i definitely see where her parents are coming from on this as we mentioned before, Corey Rossman did provide a DNA sample to police early on, and he has maintained his innocence throughout the investigation. However, he has declined to meet with the Spears or be questioned by their investigator. Corey's lawyer, Carl Salzman, stated that Corey actually doesn't have much memory from that night due to the fact that he was punched in the face by another student neighbor who we know is Zach Oates at Lauren's apartment complex. However, Corey has stated that he never actually said that. Corey said, quote, you're taking statements that were said by my lawyer. I never said I did or didn't. And again, like, was that punch really what, you know, made him forget everything that happened? Or is it perhaps the fact that he was possibly intoxicated? I mean, we don't really know. But um, I don't know. That's that's kind of interesting to me. Though Corey has rarely spoken publicly about the case, he did tell the press in 2011, quote, I was not the last person with her. And that's all I can say. I'm sorry, I just hope they find her as soon as possible, and I'm praying for her and her family. Robert Spear remained skeptical about Corey's statement, claiming, quote, 
I'm not sure of anything, but what I do know is there's been a complete lack of cooperation, and he was the person who spent the most time with Lauren in the last hours of her being seen. On August 8th, 2012, a mental evaluation was done for a 56-year-old man, and he ended up telling police that he had been watching the Kilroy Sports Bar before her disappearance. He also claimed that at one point he met Lauren at a shooting range. Very bizarre statements. However, police say the man isn't believed to be involved in her case. But wanted to mention it because he did say he was like scoping out the Kilroy Sports Bar. So, you know, obviously that's very bizarre to make statements like that. But as we've seen in other cases, people come out of the woodworks and say all kinds of crazy stuff uh, that doesn't end up being true. But after months of searching, Lauren's family released a picture of a ring on August 29th, 2012, in hopes that it would trigger someone's memory. It was identical to the one she was wearing when she vanished, which was given to her as a 20th birthday gift. While the Spears continued their search, they were actually featured on Katie Kirk's talk show in December 2012, where they discussed a lack of cooperation they were facing from Lauren's friends, saying that they felt stonewalled. Let's take a look at a clip from that interview. I don't think we've discovered the right information because we don't still have Lauren. Despite 18 months of searching and pleading, Charlene and Robert Spears still don't know what happened to their 20-year-old daughter. And that is frustrating. Robert told Katie Couric he and his wife feel like they've been stonewalled by the boys Lauren was last seen with. Despite, you know, their claims of doing whatever they could do, the fact of the matter is that they refused to meet with us, except for one of the boys. Um... They refused to take a police polygraph. Charlene says she doesn't believe Lauren's abduction is a random act. I think that somebody that Lauren knew was responsible for the events of the evening. She broke down in tears, recalling when she and her husband visited the area outside the bar where Lauren went on her last known hours. Girls walking home alone and um. As if, as if her disappearance didn't make any difference. Charlene cautions what happened to Lauren can happen to anyone. But what did happen to Lauren? It's a question still unanswered. Robert told Katie he holds on to the slimmest of hope that his daughter might be out there somewhere alive. But he has adjusted his expectations. And I understand that uh, Lauren may no longer be with us. We, you know, you know we, we ache for her. And... Um, we want to bring her home. A few months later, after this interview on February 24, 2013, the Spears increased the reward to $250,000 thanks to an anonymous donor. But still, even with that sizable reward, no one has come forward with any additional information. Another theory surfaced in 2012 when a fellow Indiana University student, Corey Hammersley, was arrested following a mental breakdown. Apparently, he had a shootout with local police officers while nude and high on drugs. Now, Corey Hammersley was allegedly very heavily involved in the drug scene at IU and was sentenced to 24 years in prison following the shootout. Shortly after being locked up, an inmate in the same cell block, which take, take that with a grain of salt, said that Corey mentioned to him, quote, I knew the guy that did that, referring to Lauren's case. Again, it's important to point out that police are usually smart enough to, you know, take these jailhouse confessions or what inmates hear, you know, going on inside the cell block uh, with, a, like I said, a grain of salt because they lack credibility. And a lot of times inmates are just looking to make deals, you know, in exchange for uh, these confessions they give. Uh, but this inmate was insistent that Corey Hammersley had told him that Lauren had overdosed on ecstasy and passed out 
He says that Corey Hammersley allegedly told him that he didn't know what to do with her after, so he drove down to the Ohio River and dumped her body. Now, Corey himself has denied these accusations, claiming, quote, I absolutely did not help to move her body, and I don't want to be associated with this at all. So, a, b- a bunch of nothing, really. On April 16, 2013, some mushroom foragers were out, you know, looking for mushrooms, and they came across some skeletal remains in a remote wooden area in southern Indiana. A coroner determined that these remains belonged to a woman who had been deceased for two years or more. However, upon further investigation, it was concluded that these remains were not, in fact, Lawrence. And this has happened quite a bit over the years. You know, anytime remains Mm -hmm. are found, no matter where it is in Indiana, you know, people bring up Lawrence's case, and, and rightfully so, at least to check to make sure there's no connection there but um all these events have have led to no connection to lawrence whatsoever there were a few things that we chose to leave out just because they didn't pan out and it sort of um takes away from the focus on lauren's case but it has to be so hard every time something like this happens for the family kind of getting their hopes up but at the same time it's got to be really crushing and brings up this wide array of emotion and then just to be let down and frustrated in the end so there was a time in my life after years of bad experiences with doctors that i stopped trusting doctors altogether, and i just stopped going to the doctor but then a time came where i really needed to go to the doctor and josh actually found zocdoc for me way before they started sponsoring our show and it has been a huge help in my life i have finally found good doctors which is so so nice you're not familiar with ZocDoc. It's a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online, which nothing's more frustrating than finding a doctor you like or getting referred to one. Then you go through the process of calling the office, trying to set up an appointment, and everything just takes way too long. And usually you find out they're either not taking new patients mm-hmm. Or, or they don't take your insurance or, or they something. Don't take, yeah, or That's it just annoying. takes so long to get an appointment booked. But both of us have used ZocDoc many, many times over the years. Most recently for me, like a year or two ago, uh, we had moved and I hadn't had a doctor set up yet. So where'd I go? ZocDoc. ZocDoc baby. And I found a great PA that I now see for all of my regular checkups and absolutely love the guy. Really I just dude. found someone new too. And then Janelle started going to her as well she's amazing we love her i love the reviews because it's hard to find doctor reviews that you can really trust Mm -hmm. on other websites out there like i think there's some other websites that do reviews but i always like "Eh, it feels like these are filtered or yeah sometimes i notice they're bots or they're bots yeah or they're just a bunch of gibberish so these are verified real reviews from real patients and i feel like nowadays you shouldn't really do anything without looking reviews first yeah. you know and it's not just like primary care it's any type of doctor specialty mm-hmm. you're looking for zocdoc yep. helps you filter it helps you filter by your insurance you can see exactly who takes your insurance you don't waste any time and the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on zocdoc is just between 24 and 72 hours sometimes you can even score same day appointments which is absolutely amazing so if you haven't tried zocdoc go to zocdoc.com slash mile higher and download the zocdoc app for free then find and book a top rated doctor today that's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash mile higher. Check it out today at ZocDoc.com slash mile higher. 
So even though Jay, David, and Corey had all been cleared as suspects, Lauren's mother still didn't believe her daughter was abducted by, you know, a complete stranger and publicly stated, quote, I think it was someone Lauren knew who was responsible for the events of that evening. And in 2013, Charlene and Robert Spearer filed lawsuits against Jay, David, and Corey, accusing them of negligence in their daughter's case. And since Jay and Corey had both provided alcohol to the underage and heavily intoxicated Lauren throughout the night, their family believed that there was sufficient evidence to pursue the lawsuits against them. And they also tried to sue Michael Beth, Corey's roommate, for neglect, claiming that, quote, he had assumed a duty of care for Lauren when she arrived at his apartment visibly intoxicated. Tanya Pratt was the judge overseeing all three cases, and she promptly dismissed them, actually, because none of the four men had any legal obligation to care for Lauren, despite her being intoxicated. And in the end, there just wasn't enough evidence to support their theory, making it impossible for a jury to objectively conclude what truly happened to Lauren. And back in 2017, the Bloomington police publicly stated that Lauren's disappearance could also be linked to the abduction and murder of fellow IU student Hannah Wilson. Hannah was also seen drinking at Kilroy Sports Bar the night of her disappearance on April 24th, 2015, which was only four years after Lauren vanished. And unlike Lauren, Hannah's body was found the following day in Brown County, Indiana. And from the beginning, her murder was investigated as a potential connection to Lauren's case. However, a local man named Daniel Messel was arrested in connection with Hannah's murder, and one of the Spears' private investigators concluded that the two cases were unrelated due to timing. And that's because Daniel had reported to work on the morning of June 3rd, and that would mean if he was responsible for Lauren's death, he would have had to kill her, then dispose of her body, and then show up to work all between the early hours um, since she was last seen and when he showed up to work that morning. But this did leave some people questioning if this was a good enough reason to eliminate him as a suspect because, for example, serial killer Israel Keys kidnapped an 18-year-old woman named Samantha Koenig from her workplace on February 1st, 2012, and he raped and murdered her around 2.30 a.m. And by 5 a.m., less than three hours later, he had already showered, packed, and left with his daughter in a taxi. Samantha's dead body was left in his shed for two weeks before he came back to dispose of her body. So many people have argued that it's entirely possible that Daniel Messel could have kidnapped and murdered Lauren right before heading to work, especially if he didn't need to immediately dispose of her body, similar to what Israel Keys did. Yeah, I agree with this. I think it's very possible that uh, it could have it could have happened in this way. I think I'm surprised that they're dismissing this so mm-hmm. so fast because there's so many there's so many cases that back this up i mean these this isn't the only you know killers that have done this i mean so many killers have have done it in this way yeah i just think the chances are low i mean it was four years apart um yeah but a lot of serial killers operate that way yeah, too no it's true sometimes they it's true they repeat do. offenders same yeah. location it's i'm not saying it's not possible uh, i don't think it should have been dismissed entirely i just think it's I think it's more likely it was someone that was close to her that night and that people know more than they're saying. Really? I do. Hmm. I, I lean the, the other I way, really? honestly. You yeah. think it was a complete stranger? I have a few theories, which I'll share here at the end. Um, 
one that I don't think is being talked about enough, but I, I definitely wouldn't rule out the possibility of a predator in this particular. Yeah, I mean, you certainly can't rule it out, right? Because my main thing with the boys is, A, they were partying with her, minus uh, Michael um, and the other. Jesse. Yes. Jesse wasn't even there, and he, it seems like he does have an alibi. And so I'm like, if kind of the running theory is that she was intoxicated, she was potentially on drugs, she potentially overdosed or died as a result of partying. I mean, somebody could have, one of them could have killed her as well. But I have a hard time wrapping my head around how they would have been able to dispose of her body to the point where it's literally vanished off the face of the earth in the time period that they had without being seen, without there being further evidence. Again, we may not know that evidence, but if the police are in fact not pursuing them as active suspect, you know, I feel like the case would have had a lot more progress this many years later, if that was the, the strongest theory in this case. And again, that's my opinion, but yeah, I see what you mean. I do find it very difficult to think that these college boys who are going to college would have been able to dispose of her without being seen, without having any way of tracking them in this night or by the next morning. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. It's really hard for me to believe versus her being abducted from College Ave and taken that night. And yeah. again, somebody witnessed somebody carrying a woman over their shoulder and someone else heard a woman screaming. But, I mean, those aren't confirmed. I don't know. It's it's tough. But I think you also, like I did some digging on just this area of Bloomington and there's a lot of a lot of things like this that happen in this area. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, look at Hannah, same, same kind of scenario. Is it connected? I I don't know, but I do find it, find it not out of the realm of possibility that what happened to Hannah may have happened in similar fashion, maybe not by the same person, but Mm. there's a lot of people that are opportunistic killers or looking for, you know, knowing that's a a hot spot for, intoxicated yeah i mean people i mean you guys know you guys had the police come talk to your sorority about Mm -hmm. how to be safe on campus and stuff you know what i mean like this is a rampant problem across college universities and campuses all over the country safety especially when you're out drinking and partying and especially women walking home alone i don't know i just keep going back to Corey's statement saying that i was not the last person with her and that's all i can say i'm sorry i don't know that just sounds to me like he knows more and that there's like an internal secret but i mean that's completely maybe not on my part i don't know i don't know yeah maybe not of course not but he was intoxicated as well that night i think there's just not enough known in either way you look at things for for me personally to to really lean one way or the other but i think well, you yeah. made some really good points i definitely see what you're saying In January 2016, the Bloomington police and FBI initiated an investigation into a man named Justin Waggers, who was a registered sex offender they believe could have played a part in Lauren's disappearance. Now, Justin, who was a serial flasher, had been arrested for indecent exposure on multiple occasions, and Justin worked at an excavation company, which obviously would lead authorities to suspect, you know, if there's somebody who knows how to hide a body, it's somebody who works at an excavation company, potentially. The criminal psychologist on the case at the time mentioned that flashers typically operate differently 
from kidnappers, rapists, and murderers. However, according to statistics, convicted serial flashers do often go on to commit hundreds of rapes and murders. At one point, police did search on Justin's property with cadaver dogs. They did end up getting a hit, but forensic investigators failed to find any evidence to keep the investigation going. So, you know, seems like they, they weren't able to locate a connection there with Lauren's case. But again, doesn't mean that he wasn't potentially involved. But it's been almost 13 years since Lauren Spearer disappeared and her body has never been found. No arrests have ever been made despite the local police receiving 800 tips and executing 10 search warrants related to her case. So that right there tells me, I mean, they've, they've investigated this extensively and I would imagine they've investigated as much as they possibly can without, you know, trampling on these boys rights. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I'm like, I feel like the police and just, based on the amount of time that's passed that the police really just don't know like this is and to me i have a hard time believing that these boys could pull this off for all this time without the police even getting remotely closer to solving this i just find i just am struggling with that not to say it's not possible but i do struggle with how much investigation that has been done the fbi's involved i mean yeah, I see we're mean. talking about serious like the amount of resources poured into this case is far more than most cases that we see. And so in my mind, I'm like, somebody somebody came and abducted her that night. Lauren's case remains open, and despite the renewed interest, authorities aren't any closer to figuring out exactly what happened to her in the early morning of June 3rd, 2011. The day before the 10th anniversary of Lauren's disappearance, the Bloomington Police Department issued a pre-recorded video update stating that Lauren's case was still classified as an ongoing investigation and was not a cold case. Let's take a look at that statement. Over the course of the last 10 years, the Bloomington Police Department has received thousands of tips, interviewed hundreds of people, obtained a multitude of court orders, and executed innumerable search warrants in Bloomington and elsewhere. BPD has been assisted from the very beginning by multiple law enforcement agencies, and to this day continue to work most closely with the FBI. Many times we are asked if Lauren's case is, a, is listed as a cold case. The answer to that is an unequivocal no. A cold case is one where no leads or information has come in and the case file sits dormant. That has never been the case regarding Lauren, and there has always been something to follow up on. In the last three to four years, for example, investigators have executed at least 10 search warrants and received approximately 800 tips. Of those tips, over 100 of them required additional follow-up once they were vetted and it was determined that they were not reports for information that had already been reported previously. Overall, since 2011, BPD has received nearly 3,600 tips with approximately 1,100 of those de determined to be actionable and assigned to additional follow-up. In short, BPD continues to vig vigorously investigate this with our partners. The Bloomington police stated they would continue to pursue information tied to this case with the same diligence as they did when she was first reported missing and her parents still cling to the hope that one day they'll have an answer. But until then, they continue to keep Lauren's story in the public eye, hoping to motivate someone to come forward. Lauren's mother, Charlene, actually pretty recently, June 3rd, 2023, made a heartfelt Facebook post. And I wanted to just read it from you for you guys. Um, I think it's really powerful. It says, a trip to the grocery store, an expiration on a milk carton, the universe's not-so-subtle reminders that another June 3rd approaches. I don't need a reminder. I wear June 3rd like a shroud. I leave the milk. It is what it is. Lauren is a memory that lives in my heart. What could have been, I'll never know. So much untapped potential. Too many broken hearts left in the wake of destruction. 
What happened to Lauren could happen to anyone. I think most college students believe they are invincible. I think Lauren trusted that she was safe. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong people. She wasn't careful and she wasn't safe. Someone with means, motive, and opportunity waited for her and held out the hand she took. And just like that, she was gone. There have been lies and inconsistencies from the beginning. I guess that's always how it is in any case. Self-preservation above all. But someone knows what happened. Someone is responsible. I have been schooled in the art of not sharing information. Fruit of the poisonous tree. What parent would ever risk saying something that would compromise an investigation into their daughter's disappearance? Even now, even here, I consider my every word. I take care. If you knew Lauren before her disappearance or if you came to know her afterwards, give her a thought today. Consider that in the time it takes you to remember something about Lauren, someone could have called 911 and this tragedy would have never happened. 12 years, you have kept your secret. 12 years, we have continued with our search. I write today as a reminder that we will never stop. 12 years of June 3rd, Charlene Spearer. Now, I think it's pretty clear how she feels. Um, yeah, it's very evident mm-hmm. what the parents think I, happened. I, I just tend to agree with them. I think that's, of course, they want to protect their rights. And I'm, that is the, their right to do that. I just think, I think it's all very strange. It is strange. But to, you know, I, to look at it from the other side, right? If you look at it from, these boys angle i think it there's also an explanation there as well is it one that the family agrees with no and that's that's fine but on the other side the boys you know they are protecting themselves as you are allowed to legally and i'm sure you know maybe they want to say more but their lawyers are telling them not to say more because it could incriminate them in some way not necessarily to the point where they were involved in her disappearance but i think she was getting drugs from somewhere. You know, there's definitely illegal activity here. And I think perhaps that's, they're, they're worried about, you know, their parents are worried about that coming out and jeopardizing yeah. their future. I mean, of course that could be the case. But, I just think, I don't know. It's, I keep also going back to the boys talking about how Cor- they didn't like the way Corey was handling her that night. And he was punched in the face because of it. Something is just so off to me. And I think it's interesting that her mom also said that she she knows things and she's been schooled in the art of not sharing information. The fruit of the poisonous tree. What parent would risk saying something that would compromise an investigation? I mean, it's very clear that there's things that they're not saying as well that really lead them to their obvious conclusion that they're not saying. But I mean, it's pretty obvious how they feel. Could be for sure. I don't know. It's tough. There's there's just not enough to say either way. No. And in honor of Lauren Spear, a new law, which we mentioned at the beginning, the Indiana Lifeline Law, was put into action on July 1st, 2012. And this law gives immunity to people who might have otherwise faced charges for public intoxication and underage drinking when they call emergency services for friends with alcohol-related injuries. This is such a crucial, crucial law. And it's also vitally important that it is made Students are educated about this and what will happen if they are in this situation and they need to make that call that they don't need to be afraid. And that is made abundantly clear because this it's life-saving. Well, it reminds me of the Penn State fraternity case we yes. covered. Mm-hmm. And, and they let a, a brother die because they were worried about getting in trouble. And there's many 
fraternity yes, cases yes. with similar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's just, this should be in everywhere. Yeah, it should, should be. be a law everywhere. I think, I wonder how many states, can we look that up? I wonder how many states have something like this in place and if there are states that still need to put something like this in place. Yeah, I would try to look further into this and see how many states have this type of protection. I couldn't really find a straight answer, but I I would love to see a federal law be created. Yeah, it should be a federal law. Yeah, yeah why isn't it? I don't know. Indiana University freshman would also honor Lauren's legacy after establishing the Lauren Project on November 14, 2012. And students would pitch ideas to the Spear family about how to improve campus safety and awareness, which included a night shuttle service and the introduction of the buddy system, which I think this case just is a real reminder of how vulnerable you are, you know, especially in college. I think I know we all remember that time. And oh, yeah. You, you definitely do have the sense of like invincibility to some extent and you know nobody wants to snitch on anybody and it's it's just kind of kind of the way that the college culture is um at least in kind of like the more partying scene and, and i think the same can be said even in high school just, yeah just high school and well. with the youth you do feel invincible and you feel like you can trust everyone yeah in 2012, the IU mini marathon runners wore light blue shirts with the phrase, where is she, printed on the front and the tip line number and website listed on the back. Additionally, the song One Little Miracle by Daniel Weber and Bryce Fox was written in her honor just four months after her disappearance. I don't believe we can play any of that. It's likely so, copyrighted. For some reason, but... Spotify like wouldn't play, but it does show up on Spotify. I don't know. We'll, we'll put the link below in case you want to try and play it yourself. When May of 2013 rolled around, Lauren's classmates celebrated as they walked across stage at IU's graduation without Lauren. And at this point, it had been nearly two years since Lauren went missing. During graduation, the university took a moment to remember her as well. And we do have a clip of that. Early in the ceremony, University President Michael McRobbie spoke briefly about the effect Lauren Spears' disappearance has had on the entire IU community. On this day, when we celebrate both the past accomplishments of our students, and the promising future upon which they are about to embark. I ask that all of us also keep Lauren and members of her family in our thoughts. Everyone at the ceremony then observed a moment of silence for the young Hoosier student who disappeared nearly two years ago. I thought it was a really nice moment and that they took time to make a tribute, especially since she was part of our class. And I think they handled that very well. Graduate Mike Carter said he felt terrible for Lauren's parents. Having to see this day occur and them not being able to experience what other parents are experiencing. And my heart really goes out uh, to the Spear family. Female graduates did say they have learned a lesson from Spears' tragic story. It made a lot of people realize that you need to be smart about when you go out. And a lot of people think, oh, that's never going to happen to me. It was a scary thing, but um, you just, I, you can't like live in total fear. I still wanted to be able to have fun and just um, be mindful of that, you know, things happen. Lauren's legacy has also sparked self-defense courses, improvements in campus safety and awareness campaigns across the country, which is really amazing. And I'm sure brings a bit of, you know, peace to her family, knowing that her memory will help. Her impact is lasting. Yes. Yes. Thank you. And after almost 13 years, the search for Lauren is still active today and answers surrounding this incident have unfortunately never been found. And Lauren never got to have a funeral. And her friends and family 
never got to say a proper goodbye. Every day, they are left with this heartbreak of not knowing what happened to their beautiful, beloved daughter, sister, and friend. And despite all of this, her family and friends have continued to remain hopeful that they will get answers one day. Her mom posted a heartbreaking message to the family's Facebook page, and this was back on January 17th, 2023, on what would have been Lauren's 33rd birthday. And I want to read this as well. It says, January 17th, 2023, I always dread certain days, days of significance, days that remind me of your absence, days that underscore the loss. Today is one of those days, your birthday, dear Lauren. I cannot fathom what fate took you from us. I know time is finite. Your time was unjustly so. Birthdays are meant to be celebratory, happy, and reflective. I honestly try to be happy on this day. The day that you were born was one of the happiest days of our lives. Your dad, Rebecca, and I all approached this day in our own way. For me, I am filled with debilitating sadness. This day for me is overshadowed by those responsible for your absence. They walk hand in hand with you, reminders of how fragile life can be, how in an incredible instant a life can be taken without consequence or recourse. You are always in my thoughts and in my heart. Maybe next year will be different. Maybe next year, maybe next year justice will walk hand in hand with you in place of evil. I celebrate you today, Lauren, as best as I can. Know that dad, Rebecca, and I love you more than words can say. You are missed. All my love, always, mom. She really has an incredible and very powerful way of writing. So I just wanted to share her posts. Seems like an amazing family too. They do. They really do. Just said, ugh. These things just always happen to the best people. It's so sad. But the case of Lauren Spear is open and it is an ongoing investigation and the Bloomington police is still working on it. And anyone with information related to her disappearance is encouraged to reach out to the Bloomington Police Department at 812-339-4477 or helpfindlauren at gmail.com. You can also contact Crime Stoppers at 317-262-TIPS as well as Detective Jeff Rogers. Uh, you can also make an anonymous report by calling 812-855-4111. And there's also a form. There's findlauren.com to keep up to date with uh, updates on the case. There's a Facebook group as well. We also have the uh, NECMEC uh, poster link. If you want to p- print out posters, you can also submit tips there as well. And anonymous tips can be mailed to Find Lauren P.O. Box 1226, Bloomington, Indiana. 47402. Um, all of that will be in the description below along with their private investigators' contact information. So if anybody out there knows anything, definitely nothing is too small to report or to have the authorities take a look at. But I think the most sensible and I think the leading theory is that these boys had something to do with her disappearance after this night out and they've somehow been able to evade arrest uh, and were, I don't know. I just, they were able to hide her body in a way that just hasn't been able to be found allegedly. Right. I mean, we just don't know. That's it's so frustrating. It's very frustrating, you know, theorized enough here and that, Without more information, there's there's not much more to say. But it's just it's just mind boggling to me with all the resources and the amount mm-hmm. of land that was searched. You know, the one other theory that I wanted to mention because I 
I do think it's, I'm sure the FBI have looked at this, but uh, human trafficking, sex trafficking mm-hmm. um, is another possibility. It's a very, it's another horrible, horrible possibility, but I think it's worth mentioning because I was taking a look at the National Human Trafficking Hotline and the Campus Safety Magazine's website, and I came across a uh, a map, basically. It's a heat map that shows where the, they receive the largest volume of call data in relation to human trafficking in the United States. And if you take a look at this, Bloomington, Indiana seems like it's a, a definite hotspot for human trafficking, sex yeah. trafficking activity. And I've if you, heard that before. Uh, because there's ma- major highways that run all up and down uh, through Indiana and obviously Chicago is a major city that's not far away, but a lot of activity there. And I did some Google searches for sex trafficking for Bloomington, Illinois, and there are tons and tons of police things where they're they're rounding up these people that are involved in these rings, uh, prostitution rings, you name it. There is tons of activity in Bloomington, Illinois. So I do think there is a possibility that she may still be out there in some capacity. Yeah, I mean, I think any, I think, think anything's about, yeah. possible at this point mm-hmm. because we don't we haven't found her yet, so we don't know one hundred percent that she is no longer with us. But I do think sex trafficking is a, is another possibility in this particular case. If you know the leading theory isn't isn't the one uh, that ends up being true, but I mean, just a tragic, tragic story. She had such a promising life ahead of her so many goals and dreams and for a night of fun and you know a night just like any other night for her it seems like to to turn into this is just just horrible the other the other reason i was bringing i wanted to bring this up too is because i wonder who what the extent of her friend group outside of just the the names that we talked about today is if she was involved in purchasing narcotics and things like that is it possible that maybe she just ran into the wrong person i mean some of these people that are Mm -hmm. involved in selling drugs on campuses could be involved with larger groups uh that might be connected to human trafficking things like that it's definitely 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 a possibility but i assume with all the investigators working on this the fbi is heavily involved in this that they've exhausted all these things and there's just nothing it's just always hard when somebody vanishes without a trace like just seems to be it's so incredibly frustrating i just hope so badly for this family that they get at least some answers at the very least absolutely well we want to know what you all think um what out what theory do you lead towards the most what do you think happened to lauren but that is going to be it for us today um we'll see you guys next time yeah